It's going to be a good time. We're going to talk this morning about what it is to be who we've been called to be and created to be, but more so the impact of that. I think that there is a move by the enemy to convince you that your life lived in obedience to the Lord has minimal to no impact on this world. And I believe he says that to us and whispers that to us so that one, our obedience to being who we've called us to be is put on the back burner and um, to discourage us. But I think most importantly to cut off the power that the Lord wants to flow through you and share with the world. So we're going to get into it. Brandy, I'm going to invite Brandy up and she's going to... uh, Read our verse this morning. Yeah. Hold it right up to your chin. Hello. Can you hear me? Put it on your chin. Hello. Oh, okay. Good morning. Today I'll read Philippians 1, verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Thank you, Brandy. We want to involve our students in our service. This is their church, their family as well. They play a role in it. So thank you, Brandy. So, but there is a way that we have been called to live, all of us. There's a way we've been called to live. Last week, Eric said, hey, you're created for his presence and talked about the goodness of his presence and how, how good it is to be in his presence. And this week what I want to do is be like, okay, now what's the impact on the world when we live from his presence? Because there is an impact. And he talked about, you know, that we are, he set up this idea of community for the world to see. Sounds a lot like what we know as being called to be light so that all can see. We didn't accept Christ just to receive our ticket into heaven and then Jesus or a pastor or somebody go, okay, you know, you're good to go. Just, you know, kind of do things the way you've been doing them. You've gotten this far, right? Uh, Apparently, you're in the right direction. You just now go and do what you see fit, right? Because we all know that has resulted in the best outcome. Yeah. Most of the time, it's resulted in rock bottom or near rock bottom. In one way or another, it's resulted in us on our knees before the Father, We received Christ because we knew there has to be another way. And he revealed himself to us and said, there is another way. I am the way. I'm going to give you new life. That new life isn't just so that you can come and make a few tweaks in your life, but it is, in every sense of the word, new. Opposite, transformational living. That we're called to live because there is, a, there is a, an impact that that has, one, on your life, but on the lives around you. If you're, if you're a parent or spent any time at all around kids, you know that the way you live impacts your kids. They see everything, right? They see everything. They mimic everything. When they're old enough, they start calling you out on that stuff. Yeah. Huh? About three and, well, I, I, she hasn't really started calling me out yet. Has she? What? Okay. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, my, okay. I guess me and my three-year-old are going to have a talk. Well, <laughs> the way you live has an impact on your life, but also the world around you. There's a way that we've been called to live that benefits you, but also benefits the world around you. Those that get to interact with you, those that get to peer into your life, either for all your whole life or even just a moment of it. And when we live from his presence, this impact isn't just a momentary impact, it's an eternal impact that we have on the world. And the simple fact is that others can see the presence of God being lived out in your life. And that's of benefit. So I'm going to read the verse that Brandy read, and I'm going to continue on a little further because there's more, there's more to it. So we're in Philippians 1, 27 again. And it says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, listen, the motivation for the way you live your life is Christ Jesus. That is the motivation for the way you live your life, not me. And so if I know that you are living from that point where you are representing the gospel well, I need not worry about you because I know you are living a solid life. So whether I come or not, I know you're good. Whether I come or not, I know you're doing what the Spirit has purposed you to do in unity and you're taking ground from the enemy at the same time in your community, doing all that you've been called to do. The good news of Christ motivates and defines how we live. But he uses this word, worthy, in my translation, worthy, thinking a lot of others. Live in a manner worthy, appropriately and according with. What he's getting at here is live in such a way that your life gives accurate testimony to the gospel. That your life gives accurate testimony to the work of Jesus on the cross and in your life. If you pause and think about that for a minute, there comes the question, is my life giving an accurate report to the world of how Jesus has loved me? of how Jesus has come into my life and transforms me? Is my life giving an accurate report to the world of the goodness of God? There comes a moment where we ask the Spirit to evaluate us because we want these things to line up. We proclaim to be followers of Christ, meaning that we have had an intimate, deep interaction with him. The deepest there is where he has said, I know you to the core and I forgive you and I've died for you. Does our lives give picture to that? Your life should speak of the gift of grace and forgiveness, which is for all of humanity. I think about it a little bit like this, and this is kind of a, uh, it's an okay illustration. 
But, you know, people around the world, they live in different climates, environments all over the place. And you can tell kind of what kind of environment they're living in just on the way they're dressed, right? And some people you can't because there are those people. There's the Alfonsos, always in a T-shirt, always in shorts. And then there, there's some of us who are always cold, overly bundled, all of that stuff. Um, but for the most part, if I see somebody in shades, a hat, sunscreen on, you know, a nice Hawaiian shirt, shorts, and flip-flops, I'm going to make a pretty good assumption that they're near water, it's warm out, they might be getting ready for a nice day on the beach or something like that. And I, I can make that assumption just on looking at them. And looking at them gives me a clue, just a clue, into the environment that they're in. And the same is kind of so with us, where when people look at us, they should be given a clue as to the environment that we're in. They should be given a clue that actually says, though they may not even know it, this person is in the presence of God. This person is a person of God. This person is light. This person has been impacted by the love of Jesus. Is this translating? But I think sometimes what happens is that there are many who proclaim themselves followers of Christ, but there's nothing that actually shows it, demonstrates it, or what I think is actually the fact for everyone, and I'm going to say everyone, myself, everyone here, is there are areas of our lives that don't line up. And this is where the Spirit comes in, coming in to say, hey, there is this area of your life that does not point to the reality of God's goodness. There is this area in your life that does not point to the fact that you have been touched by the love of God, that you are a person of God, that you are a citizen of heaven, that you are called son or daughter. And he comes in and adjusts, and adjusts these things in our lives. And if we allow him, he'll correct us, convict us, and we accept that correction our life becomes in line. I'm going to read two verses. Philippians 2.15, just a chapter after where we were just reading, saying, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now I'm going to read from Matthew. It was really difficult to kind of narrow it down to only reading two verses here because light is kind of mentioned all throughout. Like there's all of these images or these verses that give us an image of light as God's people shining bright as light in darkness. So I'm going to read Matthew 5, 14, just the first part of it, and then I'm going to jump to verse 16 and saying, you are the light of the world. And verse 16 saying this, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Our good deeds, when we shine bright as lights, has an impact on the world so much so that it leads people to praising the Heavenly Father. Do you see that connection there? And there's various other, other uh, aspects. In fact, I think after just reading it um, a couple weeks ago, weeks ago, you look in the book of James, read the book of James a couple of times. He just reiterates this point again and again and again and again. Your life, the way it is lived, has an impact on the world. And the way that you are living is either pointing people to the goodness of God in such a way that God is using you to bring them to a point of giving praise to the Heavenly Father 
or not. And it's black and white, just like that. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you and corrects you, what he's actually doing, he's saying, hey, you are created to be a part of God's plan in this area, to be light, so be light. There are these areas of your life that do not line up, and they should, because there is this person or this person that God is chasing after their heart and plans on using you to bring them to a point of praising Heavenly Father. What does the enemy want to do? Say, no, 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 it's not like that. It's not like that. Look around. Does anyone actually notice the good you do? We've all heard that in our head, right? Does anyone actually notice the good that I do? From the little to the small? And then what does that question actually lead us to? That question actually leads us to, no, no one does notice the good I do, so I'm not going to be doing good no more. And so just from that question, the enemy gets you to being light to not being light. And as, and as then, like a basket put over a candle, no one gets to see that light anymore. It's trying to convince you, maybe you don't need to put in the effort of following the Spirit as much as, as, much as you think you do, or as much as the Spirit is telling you do. Perhaps that doesn't need to be a priority. How about this, in fact? How about you just put in the effort when you think it's going to make the most impact? How about you do that, right? Light, though, does not have an isolated effect. It doesn't have an isolated effect. And what I mean by that is that when you are light, it's not like a shield is put around you and nothing gets out. There's no isolated effect. It has a wide open area of impact. Wide open. And light does, as light does, 100% of the time, whether you believe it does or not. Because that is light. And that's how light operates. Doing what it does 100% of the time. Light goes and reveals truth to the world. It's a simple thing, really. Reveals what is not seen because it's in darkness, but is plainly there if light would just shine on it. And here's what I believe. That in the world, there are, people are searching for purpose, for hope, for answers. And the answer is plainly there. But for those in darkness, cannot see it. So what does God do? Well, what I think is obvious to him, I'm going to put a light in this area to reveal what is true. To reveal what is true. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Daniel this morning. I'm going to read from Daniel 6. Um, Hunter, can you bring me my water right there? If I'm going to do a bunch of reading. Yeah, that one. Yeah, thank, that would be great. Just right on over here. Right up here. Thank you. Nice. I caught it. Lots of pressure there. So Daniel, at, th at this time in his life, is serving under King Darius. And, you know, Daniel has, he has the Lord's hand on his life. He faithfully serves the Lord. Chapter 1 of Daniel, what we see is it says, Daniel and his friends resolve to follow and pursue the Lord. And that resolve sticks with him, 
uh, through all of the kings that he serves under. And he has great favor. Now, amongst that, he has great favor amongst the kings. Not everyone enjoys that. And so there's a jealous there's a jealous group that is out to get Daniel, and so they know Daniel prays to his God every single, every single day, multiple times a day, and so they come up with this plan. They say, King Darius, let's go ahead and sign into law for 30 days or so. No one can pray to anyone, a God, a rock, nothing, except for you. And if they do break this law, right into the lion's den. It was a brutal time back then, lion's den. No trial, lion's den. I wonder if that was like an effective thing. It was, pretty, it was probably very effective, the lion's den. Okay, we're not going to talk about the effectiveness of the lion's den. So now that's at this point where King Darius actually spent some time trying to figure out, okay, Daniel is now going to get thrown in the lion's den because he, he prays three times a day. He's breaking the law, and he, there's nothing that the king can do to unravel this now. And so here's, here's where we're at, Daniel 6, chapter 16 through 23. So at last, the king gave the orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. Under, I'm going to pause. Understand for a second. King Darius, the most powerful person in the world at this moment, saying, I can't do nothing. If there is somebody that's going to do it, I really hope that your God is real and can save you. Most powerful in the world could not save Daniel. He looked for a way, but he too, bound by the law of Lent, I can't do anything. There's nothing that I can do. And it continues in verse 17 saying this, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. There was no hope for Daniel amongst men. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Pausing again, King Darius worried about Daniel hoping Daniel is okay, knowing that there is no way that he can actually be saved from hungry lions, probably still trying to figure out, is there a way I can go open it right now without breaking the law, trying to figure out some loophole. There is no loophole. And so he's worried about Daniel this whole time. But there's questions that are being pondered in his head, running through his head the whole evening. And it says, the very, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the den of lions? This is the question that's on his mind. Is his God able? Is there a real God? Does he exist? And if he does exist, is he a God of justice? Because King Darius knows that Daniel's innocent. And so does his God see his innocence, and is he going to act on behalf of his people, to bring justice in this moment. These are the questions that are burning on King Darius' mind right now, his heart all night long. And then what happens? We know the story. And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent angels to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you. I've read this verse like, multiple times this week, hoping I wouldn't tear up now. <laughs> and I just can't, for whatever reason. 
And the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted his God. God uses Daniel to reveal himself to King Darius. And at this point, there is no doubt in King Darius' mind if there is a God and who he is. He uses Daniel to make plain what was obviously there, but because King Darius was in darkness, could not see. And so light comes in to reveal the truth. There is a God. He is faithful and just. He is powerful and above all. And there will be no doubt about it. What did Daniel do here? What did Daniel do here? He lived a life worthy of his status as a son of God. He lived a life worthy of what it meant to be called the people of God. He held to his resolve to serve his God. And God uses his life here. And we know this isn't the first time Daniel does this. We see that he's been put in multiple situations like this where he holds firm. And every time, just like we see in Matthew, God is given the glory. The heavenly Father is praised. Daniel lived in pursuit of God's presence and did one thing. He put God out in front for all to see. Daniel didn't want it to be the Daniel show. It was about God, his God. He didn't want you to see him. He wanted you to see his God. This was the result of his life. Understand this, that God uses the lives of his people who are pursuing a life of light, who are citizens of heaven, to give accurate testimony of the gospel and lead people to what is true. This is how he desires to use your life as light. And the world is asking multiple questions. Is there purpose to my life? Am I and all of humanity just some cosmic accident or mistake? Is there actual hope out there in the world for me to grasp? Am I just a product of my failures and am I destined to live there? My life, the only legacy I live behind, is going to be how I failed. They're asking the deep questions, the questions that are on everyone's mind, the questions that we have all asked. And God is giving answer, He's giving the answer. He is revealing to people what is true. He is showing people the reality of the situation. And one of the ways he does that is he partners with his people, says, I'm going to use you as light. This is who you are, who I've created you to be. I've created you as a beacon in the world to display my goodness for everyone to see and run to. Your life is designed to put God on display so that God may be praised. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, 
God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And this is the call in our lives, to display his marvelous light. Amen? And to show the world his marvelous light. For what cause? For what cause? This is where I ask you to answer me. Not used to doing that with me, I know. Someone shout it out. God's cause. Whatever God has purposed for God's glory. For God. So what does King Darius do after seeing this marvelous work on display in Daniel's life? The very next, well, the very next thing he does, he throws a bunch of people into the lion's den and all their families, okay? You know, the bio, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of gruesome. It puts on the, you know, effectiveness of the lion's den. Um, no one's tricking the king again. But he puts this out in Daniel 6, 26 to 27. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. This is, we've seen this multiple times happen in scripture. But understand this, that a king, one of the most powerful people in the world, that is the most powerful person in the world at this moment, saying, there is someone greater than me. There's someone greater to me, and we are all going to tremble in fear before him. And as a point of reference, if you're wondering who it is, it's, God, it's Daniel's God. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. Understand that these are matters of fact now to King Darius. There is no question about it. This is a living God. He reigns, and his kingdom is not going away. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. King Darius gives praise to God. And it says he put this out for the whole world to see. It means it went out to the furthest reaches of his kingdom. Everyone is going to hear this. And this happens because God is working on the heart of King Darius. He uses Daniel in his plan. And now King Darius, he sees the reality of God as it's always been, but shadowed to him because he was in darkness. God illuminates the realities. And now he is giving praise to God. He is giving praise to God. And if you look at your own life, this is a very simple, similar path to that all of us have taken. We are once in darkness, but now have been brought into his wonderful light. He confidently makes this declaration because he knows them to be true. He knows God reigns. He knows that God rescues his people. And look at some of maybe the rolling effects of this. This degree put out to all nations. Daniel is an exile from his homeland but he's one of thousands. Imagine you're in exile along with Daniel, spending multiple decades in a land that is not yours. Still faithfully pursuing God, I'm sure it's much of a struggle. It's not to say Daniel didn't have a struggle, I mean, he's thrown into a lion's den, but then you hear this decree put out by the king, God rescues and saves his people. 
You imagine the burst of hope that this would, get, would have given to God's people who are seeing this? Say, I am, not, I am not unseen by my God. He sees me. He, we, have not, we have not been lost forever. He's going to come and rescue us. When we live in pursuit of God and in alignment with our heavenly citizenship, the work of Christ that was done on the cross, performed in your life, is put on display to give testimony to the reality of God and give answer to people's deepest questions. But here's the kicker. Your life gives answers to people's deepest questions. That just does. The question we have to ask ourselves, and the Holy Spirit will help answer this for us, is, it, is the response that my life is giving, is it my answer or the answer? Is it just one of a million answers or is it the answer? We must be certain that our life isn't simply reflecting my own opinions, but instead the objective truth found in Jesus. This is why, to me, the body of Christ is such a blessing to me. Because I can tend to be a very opinionated person about the dumbest things. No, the mic needs to be on this side. At all times, for no reason. Just always there. Why? Because I think it's so. <laughs> and the body of Christ has helped me determine it doesn't matter that much. But we've become accustomed to being there, so why ruffle feathers? Let's, let's put it there. But we've all said this at one point, well, I just think, or my thing is, some, something along those lines, right, that lets everyone, people know, I'm about to give you just a piece of my mind about this thing. And a lot of times, that's okay. You know, I think Coke is better than Pepsi. Um, See, and then you guys think Pepsi is better than Coke or what have you, or winter is better than summer or whatever it is. There's a lot of things. These, those are all subjective things. But when it comes to the objective matters of life, when it comes to the bigger questions which drive our life, we must be sure that they speak of the greatness of our Savior. And that they lead people to the answer. That they lead people to God himself. There are things in your life that, sure, have your opinions, have your hobbies, have your likes and dislikes. That's great. But there's a point where we must put those in line with what it means to follow Jesus. We must put it in line with the reality of who God is. Because to the deepest answers, to the deepest questions of our life, there is an answer. There is an answer. His name is Jesus. We know this to be true. Amen? Amen? There are results of a life lived this way. When you live as light, there are results that happen. There is an impact that happens, of course, but 
there's also a deep satisfaction for us as the people of God, living as we're created to be. Any, anybody that lives as they're created to be is going to find a deep satisfaction. We know that's found in God. We know that's found through Jesus. We know that comes from a spirit-filled life in pursuit, of, in pursuit of God, in pursuit of holiness and righteousness. We know this. In Psalms 19, Psalm 119, 1 and 2, it says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instruction of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. What's the secret to joy? Obedience to God. There is joy in the Lord. He always provides what is best, life abundant. And part of this deep satisfaction comes from being protected and guarded from the enemy in the darkness that covers our world. When you're living a life of light, you're actually allowing the Lord to protect you and guard you from the enemy. And so part of this fact is like, yeah, if there's, if there's stuff going on in your life and the Spirit's saying, this isn't correct, this isn't correct, that's not happening, what he's going to say next is, it's because you've let your guard down. you stop living as you should and have opened yourself up to attack and influenced by the darkness by the enemy. And that's never a fun thing. That's actually the thing, that's the reason that we were driv driven to Jesus. At some point we saw darkness and we saw light and we said, well, that looks a lot better. I'm going over there. And God said, yeah, I am a lot better. I, I am the best. What the Spirit is doing is he's revealing to us those areas not in line because those areas open us up for attack. And the Spirit wants what is good for you, what is best for you, what is going to cause your life to thrive, but what is going to cause you to be a bright light displaying God's goodness. And there's another effect, though. A life, it is a life that is propelled into battle. Someone that is living as light is not stagnant. And I'm not saying this like, oh, you need to get going in your life and doing more and more. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there is a result of living as light that the enemy doesn't want you to know about. Because you may not see the impacts. How many times has the Lord led you to bless somebody and you don't see a result of that blessing beyond just that moment of them accepting it? And perhaps years down the road, you hear, you hear the good news of how the Lord may have used that moment to lead to their thriving and coming to the Lord. The reality is when you live as light, you're propelled into battle. There is always an impact on the world around us when we choose to be light, when you choose to be citizens, and when you choose to obey and live from the Lord's presence. And what happens when you're living as light is you're actually posturing yourself for battle. Have you ever asked this question to yourself? I have this friend, I have this family member that I, I want them to know the Lord. How do, how do I fight for them? How do I go for bat for them? The answer is live as light. Live as light. You live your life in a manner worthy of your call to be a son and daughter, a citizen of heaven, a man or woman touched by the saving grace and loving mercy of a heavenly father. You live as a person of God's presence. And to live any other way 
is to ignore the realities before us and to forfeit ground to the enemy. When we choose to not live as light, to not live in obedience to the Lord, we are forfeiting ground to the enemy. You're simply saying, here, have it. When instead, you're supposed to be on offense, taking ground from the enemy, at odds with the enemy. This isn't to say that you won't be led to speak truth. You will be. You'll also be led to live truth in every area. That from your mouth comes truth always, and from your life is produced truth always. That is light. And I think that Satan is trying to convince us that our daily life in Christ doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter and has little impact so that you, so that you will live as you will and just be sure to include a little Jesus in there. Live your life as you will. Include a little Jesus. Go to church on Sunday. Read a few verses a day. But, you know, maybe your life in Christ doesn't matter that much. But here's what he's trying to do. When we accept that lie, we become like a sedated lion. No one fears a sedated lion, right? It is powerless. There's so much power available, so much strength given by God, gifts meant to be used for his purpose, but now powerless because we've been lured by a lie. The life you live matters both for you and those around you. We live in a world full of more answers than ever. You can, you can Google life's biggest questions. You can. And you're going to get thousands and thousands of proven methods, right? And you might find an answer that you like. Oh, I like this one. This is like, an, this is like one of those all-you-can-eat things. Nice. This is going to be, oh, this one's more like a buffet, kind of pick and choose. I like, I like that one. You know, this is the opposite of kind of what I've been doing, it sounds like, so that one must make sense, right? Okay, maybe, maybe th this is making sense. But then, you're like, wait a second, you realize these are just one of a million answers. You realize, I've just, I've just found an answer, but I haven't found the answer. God provides us the answer. And it's all centered on his son, Jesus, who invites us into his freedom. It's all centered on his son, Jesus, who guides us to the presence of God where life is found abundant. That's the answer. And it's good for us to know so that we can share with others. I ask the worship team to jump up. Jump, hop, skip. A little triple jump. We are called to live lives that give the answer. We are called to live lives that give testimony to the gospel, to the work of Jesus on the cross, to the work of Jesus in your life, the power of the Spirit which you live by. You are called to live that life. You're called to be a Daniel in your world who God can use 
to display his glory to whoever that King Darius is so that they can come and give praise to the Heavenly Father, so that they may know the reality that is plainly there, but they cannot see because light has not come to illuminate it. But here's the, here's the best news in this. One, God is chasing after every heart and soul on this planet. He's chasing after it vigorously, in pursuit of them, without you even knowing it, being aware of it. He was pursuing you before you knew of it. And then, he says, here's my servant I'm going to put here as light. Think about this, that he would choose to use somebody like me in his plans. It speaks to his greatness. It speaks to his love. It also leads me to a point of humility and thankfulness. But here's what I want to do this morning as we worship. Of course, we're going to say thank you, Lord, for who you are. We're also going to say, Lord, illuminate my heart that I may know those areas that do not line up with who you are and that do not give accurate testimony to you. Father, I want to live a life that is in line with my heavenly citizenship, worthy to be called son and daughter. Lord, this morning we want to worship you. So, Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you, Lord, for the lives that you are pursuing. Thank you for running us down and illuminating yourself to us, showing us the reality of your goodness. And, Father, we ask you to show us the areas of our life that are not in line with what it means to be light, that we may live a life worthy to give testimony to the gospel and the work of your son Jesus, that all may come to worship you, Father. We thank you that you would include us in your grand design. Thank you, Father. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.